You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. Greg Stokes here with Lanyap Podcast. Today is July 31st. I'm here with my brother, Doug. A lot of interesting things going on in the marketplace today, Doug. Today's Monday. Um, we closed a, a wild week, a wild week on the positive side, um, specifically related to really positive news coming out. Sam Rowe really uh, put it really succinctly that if you look at inflation data, uh, GDP, et cetera, basically everything looked good last week. Um, and the, the sort of message that the market is sending is that the bear market that we experienced last year may have occurred out of the context of a recession. So I'd love to get your thoughts on what took place and how you see things going on. We've got a lot of things to talk about, but that's really the the major driver in the marketplace. Yeah, I think that that's the confirmation that we're getting uh, from the markets this year. I think if you look at you know, when did this recovery start, uh, it really started uh, summer of last year when most stocks bottomed now. Um, the markets kept going down until October of 2022, and a lot of that was driven by just large cap tech uh, still bottoming. But the majority of companies bottomed in the summer of 2022 in anticipation that um, you know, recession was likely uh, not the high probability event, and that um, you know skirting a recession and in inflation coming down. Uh, would be sort of that consensus view ultimately, and and that's what what's ha- what happened. And now, large cap tech then bottomed uh, late in 2022 and it reversed in January of 2023, and we've seen what's led the market from then to now. Uh, we'll see what happens in the back half of this year, but I think um, you know this is a a case. I, I think there was the last one in 1994 in which uh, there was a a drawdown in markets and and no recession due to a rate hiking cycle. I think that this is lining up to be um, in line with that sort of history. The one thing that's still concerning, I think, is real estate. Um, the uh, uh, Barry, uh, what's his last name, uh, who was the CEO of Starwood Capital, uh, basically said that the commercial real estate's in a category five hurricane now. And I, I think that that's an interesting uh, observation. Now, there's there's a bifurcation and and different types of real estate. And I think he's specifically talking about office, but uh, it will be interesting to see what happens later this year and next year if interest rates are still high. Uh, and there's a lot of refinancing that ha- has to happen in the commercial real estate space. What uh, what does that look like for the rest of the economy and markets in general um, with uh, with a big debt? refinance issue in office properties specifically that are underwater. Right. That's a really interesting. That's going to be the story, at least the known story for the next uh, several quarters. As it relates to the inflationary numbers that came out last week, this is goods and services that became cheaper between 2022 and 2023 from June 2022 to June 2023. Gasoline over the course of the last 12 months was 27% cheaper. Airline fares, car and truck rentals, both uh, year over year down 19 and 13 percent, respectively. 11 percent on major appliances, TVs, eggs. My question to you, Doug, is supply chain normalization, 
has been a driver of disinflation. So meaning like post-COVID, everybody wanted to fly everywhere and rent cars, et cetera. And then obviously, so a secondary part of disinflation has been what the Fed has done. And there was a study done by a large bank that basically said that the so far and and Nick uh, and I'm not going to attempt to pr- pronounce his last name, but he's the the Wall Street Journal uh, Fed whisperer, Nick the Greek, um, Nick the Greeks, Nick Timosos or whatever. So Nick thinks that. 50% of what's the of the disinflation is related to supply chain normalization and then also 50% of it's related to um the actual effects of the fed raising rates so I want to get your thoughts on that and then also like all of a sudden this big uh tailwind as it relates to disinflation and the price of oil going down fuel etc all of a sudden that seems to be going the other way and so I want to I want to get your thoughts on where, how you see things going from here and then uh, specifically related to those other two items that are referenced previously. Yeah, so I, I don't really buy that uh, that supply chain normalization in sort of the current market is 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 causing disinflation. I think actually there's there's going to be an inflationary impact from reworking supply chains, uh, specifically by uh, not not relying so much upon China number one as sort of an exporter of inventory. Uh, number two, uh, so that would recall require onshoring to countries like Mexico, which we've talked about in the past, which we view as sort of a bullish from an economic perspective over the next decade as they get more uh, uh, share of, of inventory and supply chain uh, logistics to the United States. The other component to it is uh, just holding more inventory. So companies that I used to rely upon just-in-time inventory are now sort of beefing up their their supply chains and beefing up their inventories just to uh, not have a negatively negative impact from uh, you know something like a COVID happening again. So I'm not really buying that a normalization of supply chains this late in the COVID recovery is disinflationary. I think any anything inflationary from oil specifically or any of the input costs commodities etc is going to be uh, counterbalanced by the uh, disinflation of of shelter and and rent decline mm-hmm. and so i'm still uh, a buyer that we're going to be in that sort of two to two and a half percent range uh, pretty quickly now if you look at trueflation trueflation has ticked back up from the low twos i think it's in the mid twos now uh, so right now, as of uh, uh, July 31st, Trueflation's, uh it's it's 2.25. It got down to 2.1. Um, so it's sort of stabilizing and slightly increasing from a base close to 2%. But the way I view it is, is if you're the Federal Reserve, are you going to continue to raise interest rates, uh, potentially impact uh the economy to the point where there's a recession just to go from, you know, two and a half percent to 2% inflation. I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, And so I think whatever uh, increase we're going to get in oil prices, so long as it's not astronomical, like in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, then I think that we're going to get to that sort of two to two and a half percent range. And the Fed's going to be done at that point in time. So speaking of oil prices, I mentioned, I mentioned that, uh, oil's up 15%, uh, 
um, in in July, which is the largest one month gain since January of 2022. Goldman Sachs estimates now that global oil demand has risen to an all time high of 103 million barrels a day. It's pretty amazing to me, even in spite of like the sort of the fact that I think electric cars are like five or six percent of total cars utilized in the United States that we continue to use oil at a higher rate than we have in human history. And I wonder if if and when that's going to crest and the, the narrative is going to, not the narrative, but the actual facts on the ground are going to shift to a decrease or decline in the, the, the oil uh, utilization. There was an interesting article last week related to Elon Musk encouraging and, and, and noting that he, he saw a lack of urgency from uh, the power companies at large in the United States, there the in terms of developing the the electric grid to be much bigger than it is. He, it, according to Musk, by twenty forty five, the electric grid is supposed, needs to be like three times the size of what it is today to accommodate the increase in electric cars. Think about it like now everybody fills up their their car at the gas station or whatever, and eventually everybody's going to need to plug their car into the, their, a wall socket or whatever. And that that additional utilization is just, we just don't have capacity for it now. And that's gonna, that is even more magnified, obviously, if you look at it in, in developing markets like Latin America, you, were mentioned, you mentioned Mexico. This, the, these places have power outages all the time and their electric grids are horrible. Um, and that Mexico is like a second world country. If you look at a third world country or a, or, you know, a borderline second or third world country like Brazil or India or whatever, it's like, and it's like, it's a whole nother uh, level that they're going to have to achieve to be able to accommodate this ne- next wave. And so I'm curious to see, and we've talked about this at length because I think it really is fascinating if and when the de- peak, we're going to get to peak demand. And there's the, the uh, Saudis and OPEC have obviously been doing what they can to try to maintain oil prices. I, I, I think this is another sort of interesting setup. You mentioned that that's as long as we don't get some sort of astronomical rise, I, I think that it's. You're, I agree with you that housing is probably going to be enough of a tailwind to to continue to uh, lower inflationary data. But I think it's going to be that's going to be an interesting story for the next uh, 10, 20 years. And and we've also talked about how all of a sudden electric cars are, are they're really not popular outside of Teslas. Ford, for example, I saw this really interesting uh, this really interesting data point. Ford lost an average of thirty two thousand dollars per electric vehicle unit sold in the second quarter. G wagons, on the other hand, are selling for over for, for on an average. G wagons are the Mercedes like boxy cars that the celebrities and athletes and everything drive. They're they consume a, a ton of gas. Obviously, they're selling for ten thousand dollars over MSRP. The largest average premium on any make model in the country right now. So a lot of interesting things in that particular space. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I'll add, I'll add to that. And, and yeah, we've, we've talked about, we've talked about this offline, but um, Rivian, you didn't mention, which is just an insane statistic. Uh, the CFRA estimates Rivian's cost of goods sold at about 220,000 per vehicle versus an average selling price of 81,000 in the quarter as they have for other EV, EV makers, supply chain disruptions have pressured Rivian, forcing the company earlier this year to cut its production in half. So this was their their latest uh, earnings call from uh, second quarter. But uh, just crazy that these electric vehicles are costing so much to produce and you know basically selling at a loss. I'll add- and they have their inventories. 
their inventories are like like crazy. Uh, they have almost 100% more inventory of electric vehicles on on new car lots than gasoline-powered ones. So they're just not that popular yeah. either. I'll add, uh, I think this is one of my favorite quotes, and it's from Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs. And and he said, and this is as, re- as it relates to demand for oil and energy in general. First of all, I don't think we're ever going to see uh, peak energy demand. Energy demand as uh, just the global population gets richer, uh, people will want to you know, have 24-7 uh, access to electricity in third world countries. Uh, you know, the electric grids will have to be built out. Humans are not going to just in, in general and in, in, in a global population reduce the amount of energy that they're consuming because we always want more convenience as we get wealthier. And I think the global over time continue to get wealthier. So uh, this is this Curry quote is, uh, I think, uh, very uh, helpful in, in realizing that you know, oil is not going anywhere. He says at the end of last year, this is as, as of the end of 2021, overall fossil fuels represented 81 percent of energy consumption. Ten years ago, they were 82 percent. Three point eight trillion of investment in renewables moved fossil fuels from 82 to 81 percent of overall energy consumption. So consumption is going to t- continue to grow despite massive investment in renewable energy, despite uh, movement from gasoline-powered engines to electric vehicles. Uh, the, the global population is not going to reduce the demand for energy. And so alternative sources of energy need to be invested in, which they are being, but doesn't mean that fossil fuels are going away. It's just going to be a Large, continue to be a large share of the global energy demand. And whether it's 82, 81, or 80%, it's going to be of a continually growing demand for energy across the globe. Right. So, I mean, that's, I think that's so crazy. Like, where did all, where did that $3.8 trillion go if, if we only got moved the needle by 1%? Well, it's because, it's because the demand has gone up so much. So I think that that's the, uh, you know, just because 82, they may, it may be more oil. And so we can go back and find that number, but it's just 80, 82% of, you know, you know, a thousand is, is smaller than 81% of 2000. Right. It's just that people demand more energy. And so, um, you know, 80, the fossil fuels will continue to be a big part of that. Right. And a lot, ultimately, depending upon where you live, the strong likelihood is, is that you're plugging your electric car into an outlet that's general, that's burning power, that's burning fossil fuels to, to drive. Um, so, and it's a really interesting sort of, uh, picture and narrative. And I'm sure that's, I'm interested to see how that's going to play out over time. And then on a, this is a looking back at history and we're talking about looking at the future and obviously there's a lot of prognostication and who knows what's going to happen. But a really interesting historical note that I saw in the Wall Street Journal was related to 2010 acres of land that was purchased for $130,000 in the 1940s outside of Telluride, Colorado, which if you haven't been is one of the prettiest parts of the United States, in my opinion. It was listed for... Um, $67.75 million in 2023. And I saw this individual on Twitter came up with this sort of this, this, uh, this observation that 67.75 million in, in 2023 seems like a great return on $130,000 investment or from 1940 to 2023. 
but he did he made the analysis of what would what would you do what would you do from a total return standpoint if you invested in the S&P 500 in 1945 that same $130,000 in 1945 would be $542 million today additionally you've probably had to deal with a tremendous amount of hassle as it relates to owning that particular land there's probably costs associated with it it's assuming that they haven't generated any revenue from it which may or may not be the case but it just seems that to me like that that's people get this that i mean that's a fantastic return in paper terms on real estate but a lot of times real estate's a lot more headache than what you be get be able to get which which you have been able to get historically in the markets with a with a lot, with a lot less hassle yeah i think that and there's a uh, nick majuli article from last week and i think it's titled return on hassle and it goes through so first of all i think uh, the stock market to a lot of people is boring um, and it's probably too accessible. So doing uh, deals that are sort of uh, outside of the norm is more attractive just because it's a sexier way to make money. But uh, that I think that analysis where Telluride is probably the hottest or one of the hottest markets in the country, um, you know, getting a return of, uh, you know, a tenth of what you would have gotten and just by investing in the stock market uh, is is pretty amazing. So it's a wonderful stat that I hope just brings people down to earth. Uh, the other uh, component to this is there's a huge wave of interest in short-term rentals and sort of these Airbnb millionaires uh, doing you know, s- single-family home rentals, whereas long-term or short-term leases. And uh, Nick Majuli goes through this really interesting piece on there's a return component from a, an actual rate of return perspective. Uh, and then there's a return component from a hassle perspective. And so you have all these people that are managing multiple properties that, um, you know, have to deal with tenants, have to deal with, uh, you know, cleaning people and insurance and et cetera. And, you know, the complex tax issues and things like that. And, uh, and you ultimately have no real better return than just investing in the general stock market, but you deal with all of this headache associated with it. And so it just goes through sort of history there and how uh, if somebody really wants passive income, there's no real passive income outside of uh, public markets. You have to deal with uh, issues related to um, you know dealing with individuals when you're when you're trying to invest through you know, the Airbnb channel or through a rental home or something like that. Right. I mean, that sounds absolutely horrible to be dealing with, especially like Airbnbs where you've got people that are on vacation that are partying in a, in a place or whatever and just trading, racking it out and dealing with those sort of short-term rentals. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it sounds good in theory, but if you look at it in practice, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's horrible. Um, and it, and, and then the numbers don't even look that good either. If you look, look, look at what Majuli says. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're coming up on time here and we hope everyone is having a wonderful summer. Um, it is uh, end of July and, and at least in New Orleans, we've got about 75 more days of heat. But everywhere else in the country, it's uh, we're sort of gearing up for uh, last push before school starts and, um, and things start picking up and getting busy again, uh, work wise and school wise. So we hope you're enjoying your summer and we hope you like this podcast and continue to give us a five star review and, and recommend your friends. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. 
You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.